Well, I don't know if you have a favorite food, but uh, I used to love, we'd have uh, friends and family from church gather over at Cheeseburger Paradise in Eastgate. We'd listen to Kenny play, and we just love the community that formed. And today I want to give you a, could you give a warm horizon welcome to my friend Will? Will, why don't you join us up here? He's going to show us how to cook this morning. See if I can get this turned on for us. There we go. All right, well, Will, thanks for joining us. You have a, a hobby and love for cooking, but specifically bread. So tell us, yes. what are you going to make for us today? Well, to be clear, I'm the amateur chef, not the <laughs> professional chef this, this week. But I, right. I do enjoy cooking. It really started with my mom growing up. She would make these big holiday meals. Uh, uh, my aunt lived in Boston. She had a gourmet food shop. I was able to work with her one summer and through that. It's really a passion for cooking and, and for making bread. So today hmm. we're going to do some non bread. Non bread. Yep. Hmm. And we'll make sure that that's not too hot. That's okay. great. So um, it's kind of a quick bread where it doesn't take a, uh, a long time to cook in the, in the pan. Okay. Uh, it does have to rise. So we'll just quickly go through this. But um, what I have here is a well. Uh, so this is one way of incorporating how you can make a, a bread. And you just can put your wet ingredients in here. And what's in the wet ingredients, so, sir? So in the wet ingredients, we've got some yeast and some sugar. So the sugar really helps activate the yeast. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll put some oil in. Is that like vegetable oil or olive oil? or Olive oil. Olive oil, okay. Yep. And we'll add some uh, um, yogurt. So that's what's really unique about non-bread is the yogurt. It really huh. relaxes the bread. And so like if you have non-bread... Uh, that's made with yogurt, gives that pillowy look to it. It relaxes the bread? Relaxes My the bread, bread seems very tense. It definitely needs <laughs> yeah. more of that. So I'm going to get a little... And it's just like standard, uh, just regular just non-flavored regular, yogurt? Okay. Yep, okay, non-flavored we'll, yogurt, and then we've got some salt. Is it like Himalaya sea, sea salt or just, just regular? Uh, yep, well, actually, all salt is sea salt. Oh, we got a good point. Yeah, thank yep. you, thank okay. you. And what's so, with the magic wand? Tell me about so this magic wand So this is the magic here. wand. This is called a Dutch whisk. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I have in the recipe to whisk... You don't want to use a traditional wire whisk because that wire will capture the bread and it gets clumpy and stuff Mm. like that. So Mm. this is called a Danish whisk. (laughs) And so essentially we won't do it all here, but you just incorporate the flour in here as you stir. This is a smaller portion. You'll have a bigger portion from the recipe. And then you'll go ahead and mix it together, eventually get come together where you can start kneading it. Mm -hmm. And then you can create like a ball. Yeah, you pre-kneaded some for us, I see. Yep. And so the ball raises, it looks like this. How long does it take done. to raise? About how long I would is say it? about an hour. Really, like okay. all bread, once it doubles in size, okay. that's when you know it's ready. All right, yeah. great. So the bread will tell you when it's ready to go, okay? So once you have this ball here, you can go ahead and you divide it up in six portions. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have six smaller balls. You can make that rise a little bit if you want to. You can go ahead and flatten it out. So... Well, I do this. Okay. Let's turn this down just a little bit. All right, started too early, didn't yep. I? Okay. That's okay. So I have pre-made mm-hmm. a flattened out bread here. So this is what the six pieces would look like. So the cut six pieces okay. looks. Yep. So you have the ball. We have the rolling pin. I really mm-hmm. enjoy this rolling pin because you can really use the the handles to the flatten it out. Okay. And you just create. This is very simple. This yeah, is very simple. I see simple. that. Yeah. So. You just have a nice little flat piece of here. Mm-hmm. So with your non bread, you can have different types of uh, seasoning on it. I definitely like uh, garlic, uh, butter, and basil. I think that is the best combination. All right. It is the peanut butter and jelly of bread making. Of bread making. Okay. So, so you... we've got some basil here. We're going to make mm-hmm. some strips. We're going to put it onto okay. the naan before we cook it. All right. So, so we'll roll it up here. All I right. might want to turn this. Okay. 
See, I've already messed it up on you. No, see that's here. okay. That's all right. We're, we're doing this live in action. I don't want to burn right. your bread. All right, so I'm going to so, cut this So up. while you're cutting this, so traditional naan bread's made in a tandoor oven. Okay. It's a, like a kiln, if you can think of, a, 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 clay, a clay oven. In the center part of it, there's charcoal. Mm -hmm. And then what you do is you take the uh, dough here and you slap it on the inner side of the walls. Hmm. And it's about 900 degrees, and that's wow. how traditional naan bread is made. So what we'll do is we'll dip a little water on here mm -hmm. so the uh, basil will stick. You can flatten on here. That's some great cutting of the basil. I All right. Tell you. And then I'm going to put a little, yeah, that is really nice. I'm just going to warm up the uh, butter and oh, that's garlic that's so inside of here. Uh-huh. Okay, so we're going to uh, switch a, places with you if you need. Great. All right. We'll see how hot this, uh, we'll see how hot this is. <laughs> see how badly I, I got on. So, oh, so again, this is called non bread or quick bread. It's like uh, going to an Indian restaurant. We sometimes have that with, with that kind of non bread. It's about the only place I usually have it. So this yes. is delicious. Yeah. It's great. So when you know non is starting to get ready is uh, if you can see it from the top, it'll start getting some bubbles on it. Huh. In front of us, I do have a second recipe that I've created. This okay. other recipe was made from a family friend uh, who's made hundreds of bread every year for his uh, church. And he gave me his recipe. And um, really the magic of that recipe is the, because uh, he's made so much bread in his yeah. lifetime, he's really perfected the wet ingredients to the dry ingredients. Mm. So it comes out just perfect every single time. Yeah, in fact, I see all the bubbles now. Look at all the bubbles yeah. appearing, yeah. You told me that uh, you made all this last couple days just for us, right? So I just made this yesterday. Wow, yep. this looks delicious. Took a, took a couple hours. Mm -hmm. So my friend also has a, um, a starter, a sourdough starter, uh -huh. and that's also a type of bread, I'm sorry, that's also, instead of using yeast, okay, we got a little. Yeah, that, that is, I'll, I'll take the blame for okay. that. <laughs> so I'm going to turn this turn off. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you said that like starter, is, like some people use the same starter piece of yeast like over weeks or even years to go right. back to keep it going. So how does that all work? So a starter is like a, a live little organism that you create through <laughs> collecting the wild yeast that's in the bread, and that's also in the air. And it's a process over a couple of weeks of taking just water and dough and then exchanging it out every single day. Huh. You're actually capturing the yeast that's around you. Huh. And then it forms a natural uh, 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 yeast that, that's in mm. there. Mm. So we'll look at this side of the bread because that'll be a little bit better. Yeah. Um, it looks delicious. And then we'll put a little basil on here. Mm -hmm. So that's starting to be All right. green. Okay. We'll put a little yeah, more garlic. Always more garlic. more garlic. It's always the right answer, yeah. So whether making quick bread, you want to do it quickly, get an hour and a half for it to raise, or whether we're doing you know, something that you know, takes a longer period, yeah. um, that's something we try. So I will give it a shot. Wow, that is warm. Oh, so yeah. All right, you going to try it, or you feel pretty confident? In uh, I feel pretty confident. All right, good, good, all right. All right, let's give it a shot. Man, I feel I, the, the, pillow, the pillowiness mm -hmm, of it. The pillowiness of it, yeah. soft. Mm. And then really garlic. Yeah, the and the basil is really good too. Awesome. All right, well, if you are interested in that recipe today, as we talk a little bit more about bread, um, you're going to see it's both on the screen and it's in your program, that QR code. Feel free to do that. And can we thank uh, Will for being here today? Man, thank you, Will. Right. Appreciate it. Mm. I'm buy that. Mm. That was delicious. Well, today we're going to talk about bread, and bread has played a huge role through history. I shouldn't have taken a second bite. Mm. From uh, the very beginning of time to today, bread is a way of bringing people together over a meal to be grateful for one another, be grateful for the food around us. Bread has always been a pattern for really creating gratitude. 
In fact, we get to see a snapshot of exactly what bread looked like in the first century because of Mount Vesuvius in Pompeii. In Pompeii, that's Mount Vesuvius behind there, it had a major eruption about 100 BC, 80-ish BC, and poisonous gas came out and most of the people in the city almost instantly died because of that gas and the ashes quickly petrified the people living there. So within the tragedy, we actually get a snapshot of exactly what happened during those days and specifically how bread and communal living occurred. So as they began to excavate Pompeii, they actually found marketplaces, they found bakeries, they found places to eat, places to gather. And as they were going through and pulling the ash out of Pompeii, they actually found right in the middle of the city are these bakeries. Almost looks like an old pizza oven. That's from 100 BC. And rather than everybody having a bakery at their home, there would be a communal bakery. And so you would bring your dough, bring your food, and you would bring it to the communal bakery, and you would then uh, make your bread right there with everybody else. So bread was a place to talk to one another, meet one another, dialogue with one another. And often you had a family stamp that you would put on the bread. As everything was cooking and everything was, was settling down later, you'd know, oh, mine's the bread with the X on it. Mine's the bread with the circle on it. In fact, when Mount Vesuvius erupted, when it came down, it petrified some bread that was still in the oven. Here's a petrified piece of bread found at Pompeii. In the same way that we were making the bread and we cut it, they would actually take a string, is what many people think, and with the string they would mark off, right before it went into the oven, the different slices that would be ripped off later. And so here in bread we see that it was communal, people gathered together. It was something that brought people together, it was something that was personal, you had a personal mark on your bread. It was a time of remembering. Bread is designed to be a place of remembering who we are, what really matters, where we got the opportunities we have around us, because it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget who butters your bread, isn't it? It's easy to forget about your talents. It's easy to forget about, about the opportunities you have. And so bread is an opportunity to remind yourself, hey, don't forget who butters my bread. Don't forget the talents I have, the family I have, the, the gifts I have, the, the, the things that are provided in my life. It's a time to reflect at a meal on who it is that's given you all the opportunities that are before you, all the bounty before you. So I want to look today at three bread habits. And in those three bread habits, ways in which we can just find ways to gather people together, gather our own life together to become more grateful, more upward focused uh, about ourselves and about God. So our first habit I want to look at, our first bread habit, is daily bread. And we're going to go back to uh, the Old Testament. God has just taken his people out of bondage. So they've been in slavery for 400 years, and he wants them to develop a daily habit involving bread. It's like if you just got people out of slavery, what's the first thing you're going to teach them? How to make bread and how to depend on bread daily. And by doing this, he says, this habit will build a life-giving resource into your life. It will remind you where life comes from, where wisdom comes from, what you need to sustain yourself. So here's what God told Moses for the people. He says, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and he fed you with manna. So what's manna? Manna was this bread that they could turn into dough, the substance they could turn into dough. So God would give them this substance every day just enough to make bread. So God fed you with manna, which you did not know, and you did, your fathers didn't know exactly what it was. But here's why he did that. Here's why he taught you to gather bread and make bread all those years in the wilderness. That he might make you know 
that man does not live by bread alone, but you live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want you to learn that through dependence on me, my strength, my hope, my wisdom, that's what sustains a real life. That's a life-giving resource. And to give you a tangible example how to do that, the word manna in Hebrew literally means, what is it? That's literally what it means. What is that stuff? So some people think that there was a secretion. Every morning these insects would come along the, along the, uh, the trees and every morning when the insects flew off, there would be a secretion there and you could take all that secretion out and you basically could use it like grain and you could put that together and it would basically become a substance that could be made for bread. They don't know, but whatever it is, God says, I'm gonna provide every day just enough for today. What about tomorrow? What about the next year? What I want you to learn to trust me daily that I'm gonna give you enough for whatever you're gonna to face today. That was the idea. It was interesting, uh, several years ago, I was at uh, the Exemplar here in Marymount, and I got to meet uh, Ken Klosterman. He's one of the guys who's part of Klosterman Bakery. And so he told me about the time that he bought the company. And I said, well, how's that? Were you in the bread business? He's like, I'd never done anything in the bread business before that. I said, how'd that work out? He said, not good. He said, things weren't running well, it wasn't very efficient, it wasn't making a lot of money, it was losing money, and I didn't know much about the business. So as we sat together at uh, National Exemplar, he said, in fact, I was so desperate and dependent on how to make this work, how to provide for the bills, how to provide for my employees, I decided to engage in what he called slop work. He said, bread bakeries, manufacturers never, ever would a bakery provide bread for a restaurant. That would be so beneath them but I needed demand and I needed some way to pay the bills. So we decided to make our best bread for restaurants, something unheard of at the time. So we would deliver bread to all the different restaurants and one of the restaurants he said they delivered to was the Quarter Bistro here. He said, so after years, he was kind of just daily learning in a business, having bought a new business, just how to find a way, just enough dependence to keep things going. He said, one day he's in the Quarter Bistro and while he's there, his bread is being served, and one of the uh, waiters came over to him and said, hey, there's someone over in the, who's visiting here today, and he wanted to know who makes our bread. He thinks our bread's delicious. Um, I just saw you were here. Would you mind meeting him? Oh, I'd love to. So Ken goes over and meets this guy. He says, this bread is delicious. Would you be willing to make bread for my company? He said, well, sure. How much do you need? And he told him it was a lot. He said, well, what is your name again? He said, my name is Ray Kroc from the McDonald's Corporation. And that's how his business went from barely sustaining itself in those early years to suddenly poof, massive growth. But he said those early years of trying something you've never done before, learning to depend daily and to even engage in things that might seem humiliating or seem like beneath you became fundamental to him learning how to become a business owner. And then opportunities kind of present itself. So when God is teaching his people, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this material that you're going to make bread every day, and I want you to every day make bread for six days, but I want you to rest on the seventh. Let me show you what he says here in the passage. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. It's going to, you couldn't provide this on your own. I'm going to give this to you. We don't know exactly how he got it there. A couple theories. And here's what I want you to do. I want the people every day to go out and gather a certain quota every day, just enough for the day. 
that I may test them. Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to depend on me? Are you willing to see that in the same way that you were under the, the, in the years of slavery in Egypt, you had to depend on these cruel taskmasters? Now I want you to teach yourself how to, to depend on a gracious provider. But on the sixth day, you're allowed to gather twice as much because none is coming on the seventh day. So sure enough, on the seventh day, nothing came. And if you grew up in Egypt, Egypt had a 10-day work week. And there was three weeks per month, if you look at the Egyptian uh, records. And so God was basically saying, you have been used to a culture as a slave of working all the time, never resting. You never rest. And you're used to 10 days, drive, 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 drive. I want you to reorient your life through daily bread to have a rhythm of work and rest, work and rest. He says, just like I created the universe, work, 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 rest, let's appreciate what we have. I want you to do the same. It's what God wants for us. That often we, we say we live in the freest nation in history, which we do, but we act like slaves. We're enslaved to our technology, we're enslaved to our work, we can't go an hour, and it's not because we have to, it's because we were built for a rhythm of rest and work, rest and work. Sometimes our best work happens because we sharpened our axe to make it go better. And God was building this rhythm. The seven-day work week was a way in which they were to rest and trust who provides for them. It's interesting. I was reading a, a book called Cooked. And in the book Cooked, it's written by a guy who uh, was in prison for many, many years. His name's Jeff Henderson in his 20s. Made a lot of bad mistakes, ended up in prison, came out of some impoverished um, generational poverty. But in his 20s, while in prison, he realized the food stinks <laughs> in prison. So he started to find ways that he could bring color and flavor into the prison food. They would take a thing of Doritos and crush them up and mix them into dough or mix them into the mush that they were given. He was finding creative ways to bring color and flavor into his circumstances. Meanwhile, there were several young men who came alongside him and began to mentor him and teach him about God, about Jesus, about a different way of living, by not being angry and, 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 and so closed off, but how to open yourself up to other things. And it was through that time that he became a follower of Jesus. And as he got out of prison, he began to change the patterns for years to come. He became a celebrity chef. And he wrote this book called Cooked about his journey of how trusting in God broke him out of bondage literally and set him up for the skills he needs as a celebrity, as a business owner, and as a cook today. Reminds me of this verse from the Bible. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who trust in him. So do you have any daily patterns that remind you to depend on a, a, an a source of wisdom and hope and direction and pattern that's just not go, 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 go until you collapse. See, Jesus says when you do that, when, when you trust him for daily bread, it actually builds up a, an idea that what's given to you by God is a gift. You begin to see all of life as a second habit, given bread. Not just daily bread, but given bread. Maybe you recognize it from the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you heard it as a mass growing up or a church service growing up. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He says, give us this day our daily bread. God, I've got some needs. I'm depending on you. And whatever I got, my opportunities, my family, my marriage, uh, this business deal that closed, God, these are given bread. I don't feel entitled to it. I don't feel proud and arrogant. I just feel so thankful 
that you've been given me so much. He goes on to say that when you begin to pray this way, begin to develop this habit of understanding everything in your life is given to you by God, the next part of the prayer is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's a way in which trusting God can deliver you from your secrets, deliver you from your struggles, deliver you from worry, deliver you from anxiety, or deliver you just from temptation. So we need this not only to put gratitude in our life because by depending on God's source of strength, we always give in to our temptations because we we don't have enough strength on our own. We need a, a bigger source of strength to lean into, to have that pattern of resistance, that habit of resistance in our life. It delivers us. When we moved into our building just before that, about 15 years ago, two years before we started building the property, there's a par three golf course right across the, the way here. And that par three golf course, there was a guy in our church, his name was Ryan Krangle. Maybe you know the Krangles. And Ryan was over there playing golf. When he was playing golf, there was a huge tornado storm that came through our area. And he happened to be under a tree when the tree branch came through and it just came and clobbered him on the head and it was very, very serious. In fact, if you've heard Ryan, he's told his story here publicly at a Christmas Eve service years ago. He and his parents were just devastated. He probably wouldn't even survive had it not been for either a doctor or a nurse who was right there on the golf course at the time were able to get him immediate care before they got him in the ambulance. But I'll never forget when I was called, I met the Krangles at the hospital and here's their son with literally his head cracked open. Doctors can't promise even another day, let alone any future. As I walked up, I thought to myself, what in the world do I say? I don't want to give false hope. I don't know. I don't want to give no hope. I want to empathize. I want to comfort. And the phrase that came to my mind was something Jesus says. He says, do not worry about tomorrow. Today has enough problems of its own. Trust God for daily bread so I was praying with the Krangles that day and for Ryan, so we're next to him in the bed, and I just said, God, we can't handle thinking about the next 10 years, the next two months. We just need enough strength for the next two minutes. Help us to trust you and work through the doctors to make it two more minutes than two more minutes. See, often what gets all of us anxious is we're trying to control things we can't control. When you start thinking about the next 10 years or five years or three years, whatever it is, you put yourself in the place of God and it just wears you out. God wants you to release yourself from the burden of controlling things you can't control. And part of that is saying, I'm going to resist the temptation to be God. I'm going to resist the temptation to worry even when the things look like they need to be worried about. I'm going to resist the temptation to think I can control the future. If you know Ryan's story, just amazingly, with, with still some significant impact from that accident, you know, he got back on the golf team, he, he went to college, and it was just amazing to see the progress he made, because I remember being in that moment, and it was a dark, dark moment, where temptation to give up, temptation to be hopeless was very strong. Jesus uses the same idea, so in the biographies of Jesus, he's coming face-to-face with the tempter. So I don't know if you believe in a tempter, but the source of evil. If God's the source of good, it makes sense to me there'd be a source of bad. So Jesus kind of goes face to face with the tempter. And the tempter, of all things, decides to tempt him with bread. Jesus has not been eating any bread. He's what's called fasting. He's drinking water, but not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. as a spiritual discipline to hunger after God rather than just hungering after food. 
So he's very, very hungry. <laughs> and as he shows up, the tempter comes to him and says, hey, you look hungry. Look at these stones. If you're really the son of God, prove it. If you really are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus says, he quotes the same idea from Moses, man does not live by bread alone. We're not just physical creatures that need physical needs met. But we're spiritual beings that live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He says, I don't need to prove it. How how many temptations did we get involved in? How many bad decisions do we make because we need to prove it to somebody? Jesus is so secure in his identity, he doesn't have to prove it to anyone. He says, I don't need to make stones into bread, though he could had done far bigger miracles. He realized that part of resisting temptation in your life is having access to a power source of wisdom, of, of, of empowerment that helps you overcome the things that are bigger than you. That's the idea. Reminds me of a Dave Dravacki. Maybe you remember his story of how he broke his arm. I mean, he was an incredible pitcher. He played on a couple different teams. He had cancer. They battled his way back from cancer. He came back for another season. If you remember, when he came back for his, second, his comeback season, one of his first comebacks was here at the Cincinnati Red Stadium. And when he was there and they announced him was coming back to the, uh, the pitching mound, all of Cincinnati, even though he was the opposing team, cheered for him. What a comeback story. And he came out there and he started throwing, and man, it was an amazing comeback. As he tells the story, as he had been traded on a couple teams in his career, he had come to learn about God and Jesus and that he could find his identity not in his career, though he loved that, and not in his pitching ability, though he loved that, that there was even something that those things could subordinate themselves under, that he could be known as a child of God. So he started reading the Bible with a couple teammates. They end up coming to be a follower of Jesus. And as his comeback, he just knows for sure. He's beaten cancer. He knows for sure this is going to be the best season ever. And as the, the season continues, he turns to a buddy one day at a game, and he says, you know what? This is going to be the best season ever. This is the best thing in my life. And his uh, friend who's religious and a friend of his says, well, it's not the best thing in your life. Let's not forget everything else is not nearly as important as what God has done for us. Yeah, uh, yes. I mean, let's not, we're talking about baseball here. Let's not get too carried away with the religious talk. He went out there on the mound, and if you remember, this particular moment in time is called the pitch heard around the world. He went up to throw, and as he went to throw, his hand throws so fast, he literally broke his own arm in the middle of the pitch. He screams in pain, the place gasps, and in that moment, he gets rushed to the doctor, and all the oncologists never comes back, and they find out the cancer has returned, and that's why his, his arm was getting so brittle. And After a whole series of events, he ends up having to have his arm removed. And it's not just his arm. This is his dream. This is his life. This is his livelihood. This is everything he ever wanted in his life. And though he said he trusted God in Jesus, yeah, as long as I have a career. In his book, he talks about just the years of depression he goes through. And and he said ugly things to other people and didn't talk the way he should talk, didn't do things he should do. And how it was people of faith, friends of faith, who just kept loving him and kept helping him and kept encouraging him, that allowed him to realize that though it wasn't the plan he had for his life, he couldn't define himself by his comeback, by his arm, by his pitching career. 
And he eventually made his way back to find out what really mattered. His life wasn't going to be what he thought it was going to be, but he could still find a joyful life and a happy life by trusting in God day by day, seeing what plan he had for him, and resisting them temptation into depression, the, depre- the temptation to be hopeless, or the, the temptation to play God. Powerful story if you haven't heard it. So, daily bread, it helps us resist temptation by trusting in God's strength. The last thing is heavenly bread. And this is why when Jesus shows up, what he says is so radical. He says, I have come like manna from heaven. I have come like Moses did back then. And what I'm going to show you, what I've come to do, is to develop a habit in your life of forgiveness and reconciliation. They say to him, Sure, you're the Messiah. Sure, you're from God. What sign will you perform then that we should believe you? Prove it. Prove it. Our fathers, meaning their great, 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 great grandfathers, ate manna in the desert. Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, yeah, Moses didn't give the bread from heaven. You're trusting in Moses. You need to trust the one Moses trusted in, the God who provided for him. You keep talking about Moses and religion and religious rules. I want to talk about the father, the provider of Moses. And that's my dad. My father gives you the, look at that word, true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. Jesus says, by the way, I'm talking about myself. I am the bread of heaven. He says, you know, there's lots of things you can eat in life to provide your identity, your status, your performance, your reputation, whether people like you, and they're all good things. But your soul is way too deep to be filled and to be satisfied with the nourishment of temporal things. He said, what I bring is life and life more abundant. I am not just bread, I am true bread. I'm the bread that can last. I, I can give you what sustains you through anything that's coming in your past, present, future. I'm the true bread. And the reason he says true bread is because you, if you were living in Greek and Rome, Roman times and you said, who's the bread of life? He would say, oh, Demeter. There's Zeus, there's Hades. Demeter was the goddess of grain. We did a series several years ago called Clash of the Titans where I show how Jesus and John's words specifically are aimed directly at the Greek gods. Jesus is saying, stop trusting in Demeter another God to provide for you. Stop trusting temporal things, bigger houses, bigger homes, bigger savings accounts. It's all fine, but it's not gonna sustain you. It's not gonna satisfy you the way I will. I'm gonna offer you something eternal that satisfies your soul. What is that? He says, I'm gonna show you what forgiveness from God looks like. Even in his prayer, remember what he said? Give us this day our daily bread, and he immediately connects that to forgiveness. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. God, remind me I need to be forgiven so I don't feel self-righteous. Remind me I need to be forgiven so I can give grace to other people. Remind me how patient you were with me because I really can be hard-headed so I will be patient with others. In fact, if you're ever interested in our old series, you can always find those online at the website or on the app. Just type in Clash of the Titans. There's a whole series there if you like the Greek gods and see where Jesus clashed with the Greek gods. But Jesus is saying, I came, I am the bread from heaven. We couldn't get to God, so God came to us. And he came to us to say, I have come to bring forgiveness. I want you to know you can be forgiven. And that forgiveness can satisfy you because now you know for sure you're right with God. And when you've tasted of the bread of forgiveness, somebody else has forgiven you, somebody else has reconciled with you, 
you then say, well, if I've tasted the bread of reconciliation, I want to share the bread of reconciliation. I want to forgive other people, not because they deserve it, but because I was forgiven when I didn't deserve it. I want to share the bread of reconciliation with other people because God was so patient and kind with me. So bread becomes a metaphor to be forgiven by God and then to go and share that forgiveness with other people. Isn't that beautiful? In the Middle East, it was called a sulha. Still even used today when two warring parties have, have hurt each other, have, have done something wrong to each other. A third party mediator comes in and says, we're going to bring the group together and they have a meal with bread together. And as they share the grievances, the sulha is a meal of reconciliation. At the end of the meal, both parties, having shared their grievances, say, and we will speak of this no more. All is forgiven. Everything is washed clean. The sulha. Jesus, the night before he went to the cross, he had a sulha. He sat down at what we know as the Last Supper and said, guys, you have grieved God by the way you have not lived up to your own standards. I am the mediator between God and you. And the, the person who is offended usually initiated the sulha. God has initiated the sulha with you by sending me so I could bring us together. And by finding reconciliation, by the end of this meal, we can think of this no more. Isn't that beautiful? Bread was designed to be a picture of forgiveness and reconciliation. I want to bring Will up one more time because he's got a story of how this really happened in his life. Can we give Will one more welcome? Will, come on up. So when I was uh, with Will asking for the recipe for bread about a month ago, you said, hey, before we go, can I tell you a story? And I'd just like you to kind of tell me a story about how bread has become a place of forgiveness in your family's life. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was the bread, it was the meal. Uh, you know, I'll tell at the end of the story. But um, so it's a personal story. I won't go into all the details. But um, our son, about 15 years old or so, we could just tell that there was a change in him, that uh, we knew that um, he was doing, you know, marijuana, and that was, you know, we were just dealing, we, we knew he was being kind of rebellious and all that stuff. But then it really became more of a depression, and we could really sense that there was more so than just being a, ten re, a, a teen being rebellious, um, you know, holes in the walls, things like that. And, um, and you just said it's breaking your heart, it's breaking your wife's heart. Yeah, so. we were just, you know, we, we, you know, I make bread, right? I'm, yeah. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a, I, you know, I'm, I think I'm a good father, I'm doing all the right things. Mm. And we just couldn't help him. And we, we tried to take him through many different places throughout Cincinnati. Uh, one place was kind of an outpatient. And we get there, and all the guys there were wearing ankle bracelets because they were there for other reasons or, other reasons yeah. or whatever. And we just couldn't find the right place for him. Mm. And unfortunately, it was just getting worse and worse. And, and we really thought we were either going to lose him by him going or we're going to lose him yeah. to God. So, you know, prayer, prayer um, that we had was to, um, you know, find a place. And we, we found this uh, therapy boarding school in North Carolina. Mm. And we knew that he wouldn't go there by himself. Yeah. And we also knew it was a year commitment that, you know, most of the kids go there for a year. It costs like almost what college costs times two per year. 
uh, we, re we decided that was what we wanted to do. We mm. refinanced our home. Um, we never told our family, mm. no one. We didn't want anybody to know because we didn't want him to get out and, and find out what was going to happen. We did hire a, a transport company to go pick him up early in the morning. Mm. You know, the mo mom came in and said, Sam, we love you. These guys are going to take you to a safe place. Mm. She left. And we knew that we, went, we didn't know the next time we would see him. Mm. We knew that once he got down there that we wouldn't even be able to speak to him for at least eight to ten days. Wow. And the, the relationship was so toxic that when we, you know, after eight days, we, we had five minutes. And if everything went well, the next week we'd have ten minutes. And it would mm. just keep increasing. But that first call, we had no idea what he was going to be like sure, towards yeah. us. And you said before that family meals, it was F you and F that. Yeah. It was just a venom and it was pain. Just, and yeah. just right. And yeah. it was just so toxic. Mm. And he gets on the call, and there's just this sense of like, I'm this like I am so sorry, I, wow. you know. I'm just so, you know. I know this is the right place. I know why you guys did this. I really mm. know that I wow. need something like this. And I do also want to say that it's a Christian therapy boarding school, yeah. so they yeah. did a lot of, uh, uh, you know, teaching of the Bible, you mm. know, to help the kids and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very uh, rural, rustic place. Um, so you get them away from the bad influences, away them, from the influences. Low technology. Yeah. Yeah. It was, just, it was just perfect. And um, so we got to talk to him. Sarah and I were able to come down and visit him for like two hours. Mm. You know, it's a six-hour, seven-hour drive down mm. there and back. Yeah. And then about uh, five months down the road, we were allowed to bring my son, my mm. other son with us and our dog to be a, a, a family again. Mm. And... You know, I remember through authentic manhood, one of the sayings was that, you know, give something to someone when they feel like they least deserve it or when they least expect it. Yeah. And so I really wanted to do something extremely nice, even though everything was costing so much. We, we got this nice uh, house that overlooked the, the, the mountains. Meaning you went down to see him and you rented a place. So we rented a place. Okay, yeah, nice. I'm okay. sorry. Okay. Sorry. We brought my son and, and, and you know, the, the whole family was there. Uh, did this whole nice steak dinner, we create, created this whole nice meal, and as we're sitting around the table the first time in five months or so, I was bowing my head to say a prayer for our family, and all of a sudden I just heard this, this sobbing, mm -hmm. and I looked up, and it was Sam, and he's just like, I can't believe everything that you've given me so far. Mm -hmm. Everything that you've done for me to get me better, and he's just been was so appreciative and so authentic for that. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it ended up being that he got better so quick that the that the he became leader of his household. After uh, eight months, everyone, the therapist and everyone said, you know something, we think he's ready to go home. Wow. We think he's going to be better with you better with you guys than with us, which it was. Mm. And my relationship with my son today has never been stronger. Mm. Um, he's had his own landscaping business for the last mm. couple of years, and I've just been lucky that every morning and every evening, because he, he keeps his trailer at our house, mm. that, um, you know, I get to see him. Daily have to see him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, I love you, Dad. Mm. You know, and he's like, wants me to be his mentor. 
and it's been mm. a great relationship. So it was this really, you know, prayer requested, prayer answered from God of what we went through to get to that relationship. And it was all mm. sitting at a table uh, with, you know, creating this meal um, that really, really felt like that was the breakthrough. Oh, give me a hug, man. I'm pretty right. proud of you. What a dad. What a dad. Mm. Mm. You know, when you share that story with me a month ago, just such a picture of God because it got a great cost to himself, right? Mortgaging everything over, great cost to himself, driving, uh, seeing his own son go through crucifixion in order to make it happen. At great cost to himself, God said, I so want a relationship with rebellious people that I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And I tell you, your example of that just reminds me, Jesus tells a story about a prodigal son and when he returns home, after all the stupid things he did, the first thing the dad does is he throws a suha. Let's make a meal. I want you to know that all is forgiven and we can start over again. So thank you for your story and thanks for just being an example to us. And if you don't know that authentic manhood, it's one of the Bible studies that men do in our church. We have a variety, but once a year we do that. Just a way of helping people take steps into learning how to lead through easy stuff and through hard stuff like that. So one more time, can we thank Will? Man, so proud of you. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. You know, as the band comes out to do this final song, I think you hear a story like that, and it's really a, a, a temporal story. It's an earthly story of a heavenly concept. Boy, wouldn't you want to know that your heavenly Father, who knows all your secrets and all your mistakes and everything you've ever done wrong, wouldn't you love to know that your dad, your heavenly dad, wants to throw a party for you? He wants to create a meal for you. He wants to break bread with you and say, hey, listen, I know what you've done. You didn't think I knew, but I knew. But let us break bread together. Taste the bread of forgiveness. Taste the bread of reconciliation. Then go and share it with others. We're all hungry for love like that. Well, everybody does have a hungry heart, and there's a lot of bread, a lot of things you can eat that are temporal. They're good. They're temporal. This morning, maybe before we leave, you just want to pray and ask God for some of that heavenly bread, the taste of that bread of forgiveness, to know that you've had a sulha with your heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Maybe just say to God, God... I'm sorry for replacing you with temporal things, temporal tastes. God, thanks for initiating with me. Thanks for wanting to break bread with me. I invite your forgiveness into my life. Help me to forgive others the way you've forgiven me. Amen.